Merry Bowl season and welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelions.com and once again I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back sir. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year, Brett. I'm doing well. We had another great year of college football semifinal games. We went so long without having two, certainly, in some years, even one competitive good game. Well, we had two again this year to follow up the 2022 season's great CFP semifinals, and so I'm looking forward to capping it off with a national championship game. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, before we get into it all, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. I'm at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. This is our final breakdown of the season. It's bittersweet, but to be honest, Kelly, this uh, this season was exhausting from a handicapping standpoint, and I'm sure from a modeling standpoint as well. Full transparency, wasn't my best year. Wasn't a lot of people's best year. If you were on the side of the market, you didn't do very well all season long, but hey, we're going to close it out strong here. Um, we've got a lot to get into, so, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. We have number one, Michigan, a four-and-a-half-point favorite over number two, Washington, in the national championship game. This game carries an over-under of 55-and-a-half points at time of recording. Kicks off Monday, January 8th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN from Energy Stadium in Houston. Uh, good news, we will, well, I, I, maybe it's good news, I don't know, it depends what side of the fence you stand on this, but we are guaranteed to have an undefeated national champion this year. I like when that happens because that leaves no doubt. There was no, well, they lost, they got better. No, you're undefeated, you go through the playoff, you win, champion, undisputed. You cannot dispute it. Uh, Michigan, they are seeking their first national championship since 1997, but their first outright title since 1948. Of course, the BCS started making those title games rather than just, eh, media, you decide. Uh, Washington, they're looking for their first championship since 1991, and they never claimed an outright title. So FanDuel opened this line surprisingly early in the Sugar Bowl. I think it was like early third quarter they popped the line for just Michigan-Washington, and it was Michigan minus four with 54 and a half uh, of a point total. And that's important because 55 is the number one key figure when it comes to college football totals betting in the past five years. So that did get pushed up through there. That's not insignificant. If we're looking at the history of this briefly, favorites have covered in each of the last four championship games. Before that, Alabama was favored in four consecutive championship games. They covered none of those. So if you want to look at it from a 4-4 split uh, favorites underdogs, I don't know if that's really fair because Alabama was the favorite for four consecutive years and just didn't cover. So either Michigan or, uh, I'm sorry, Washington has the chance to join the list of preseason, all-time preseason long shots. Uh, as they were priced at 40-1, to Michigan opened at 8-1. to Auburn still holds uh, the title since the BCS began in 1999 at 50-1 to when they won in 2010. 2014 Ohio State is currently priced second at 40-1. to Washington could join them there. But let's start on one side of the football with the Michigan offense against the Washington defense. Uh, I want to break down where each team kind of has an advantage, uh, and then we'll go from there. But I think where Michigan has the advantage is up front at the point of attack in the run game. You know, Washington played really well up front against Texas. I, I really believe that they played probably their best game of the season against a high-powered offense, but the Longhorns are still able to rush for 180 yards and generally were getting a push against an offensive line that is very good, but I don't know if it's as good in the run game as Michigan's. Blake Corum, on the other hand, in the Rose Bowl, ran with pop and aggression, I think more so than we've seen uh, throughout a lot of the regular season. Of course, single-handedly willed himself into the end zone for the eventual game-winning touchdown. Donovan Edwards, though, still largely ineffective. He still does not have the burst that he had last year. Um, 
it's just unfortunate. I think that that injury really derailed or he's just still not 100%, whatever it may be. On the other side, where Washington on defense has the advantage, in my opinion, is in the pass rush, which is strange to say for this team that uh, has one of the worst sack rates in the country and really wasn't able to get any sort of pass rush throughout the season. Again, they played extremely well against Texas. Braylon Trice was a menace. I felt like every three dropbacks, his name was being called for either pursuing Quinn Ewers, knocking a ball down, whatever it is. And uh, Michigan's pass protection, we, we saw it in the Rose Bowl, and we, we talked about it before. It's a bit of a problem at times. Um, I think this may have been a Quinn Ewers problem in the Sugar Bowl, but Washington also swatted down a ton of passes at the line of scrimmage, particularly in the first half. Yeah, Brett, this is the side of the ball that intrigues me the most in this game. And honestly, it's where I think the game will be won or lost, uh, depending on how you look at it. First, for the unit ranks, the Michigan offense, they're now number nine for me, which is two spots lower than they were pre-semifinal. And the lowest this unit's been ranked since week five. So, You could look at it as trending the wrong way on the offensive side of the ball for Michigan, but still, there's a top 10 unit nationally. The Washington defense, they've they've held steady here this week at number 40 for me. This unit was projected number 50 in the preseason. They quickly rose into the top 25 after a hot start, but they've been dropping slowly since their bye week early in the year, and they've really settled into this number 40-ish range for like the final third of the season. So they're playing pretty consistently at that 40-ish level. Strictly based on that, Michigan has a pretty significant advantage on this side of the ball. But while this Michigan offense usually doesn't make mistakes, they were uncharacteristically poor against Alabama. I mean, that's why you fall two spots in the unit rankings, which you say, well, two spots, that's not that far. Uh, The the raw rating drop was pretty significant. It only fell two spots because of the, the margin that you have in that part of the rankings. But to fall significantly at this point of the season, it's, it takes either a really good performance, really bad performance relative to expectation to experience that. Michigan, again, you set the bar pretty darn high. You did not play well on the offensive side of the ball, really for the first half, three quarters, three and a half quarters, if you want to say that. I mean, it wasn't until the end of the game where they finally got it together, and it was just in time. They need to play better on offense to win this game. If Michigan plays exactly as they did against Alabama on offense, I don't think they'll win this game because this Washington offense on the other side of the ball, they're going to be a lot better uh, than the Alabama offense was in that semifinal. But before we get to to that matchup for the Washington defense, on paper, this is by far the worst unit in the game. I mean, it's the only one outside of the top 10 nationally for me. But that's been the case in each of Washington's past two games, and they've risen to the occasion both times. I was worried about the secondary against Oregon. I was worried worried for the secondary against Texas going up against these receivers. Nothing against Michigan's receiving course here, but I don't think the Wolverines are drastically better, if at all, than either of those groups that Washington's just faced at the receiver position, and the Husky secondary held up. As you said, if the pass rush can get home, Brett, I think this side of the ball can be much more evenly matched than the number nine versus number 40 unit ranks would suggest. Yeah, I I really liked what Michigan was doing, and I even tweeted it out uh, early in the game where I think schematically, they were calling a really good game. Uh, that first touchdown that just opened up, you know, Corum out of the backfield wide open because it was such a, a well-timed play call and a well-designed play call. And then that kind of went out the window. Uh, second quarter, I wasn't overly impressed. Third quarter was uh, atrocious offensively. They, they st- came to a complete halt. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the, of the game, when it was mano-a-mano, Michigan was able to step up. But I, I really liked what they did at the beginning of the game. Really did not like what they did for majority of the middle of the game. And then, of course, at the end, it was just kind of who's bigger and badder. And, and that happened to me be Michigan there. Um, yeah, their, their receiving core is 
is nowhere near uh, what Washington's faced uh, in, in Texas or Oregon, in, in my opinion. But like you kind of laid out, so long as Michigan isn't beating themselves, you know, J.J. McCarthy had that horrific throw to start the game. It's so lucky that that did not start on a pick. I think that would have been a cascade effect. The, the game would have been very different if that would have been an interception. Uh, you know, they, he, he had these issues last year, too. Wide receivers were dropping easy concentration throws on third down. Like, dude, it's not great, but if they don't beat themselves, they're going to score points. I don't know how much passing they're going to do unless they really fall behind. Why would you? The, the weakness of the Washington defense is right up the middle. You run the ball up the middle, you get a really good push. Blake Corm, Donovan Edwards, you know, get uh, get that backup quarterback involved if you so wish. J.J. McCarthy even showed to be able to run a little bit there. Um, Washington can be physical, but there's nobody in the country more physical than Michigan. I think that they'll be able to generate that push up front. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that's where they go. It's going to be a run-heavy approach from Michigan, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a slow-paced game nor a low-scoring game just because they can get that burst and move the ball so efficiently down the field. Uh, let's look at the other side. We have Michigan's defense against Washington's offense, where Michigan has the advantage in my eyes is uh, – like their advantage offensively is at the line of scrimmage in the run game. Texas held Washington just 101 yards. Dylan Johnson to just 49 yards. And, uh, of course, he's he's hurt now. It's, he's supposed to play, but we'll see if he's at 100%. And this was the offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award. So Texas was able to shut it down. I think Michigan's run defense is just as good as Texas's is, um, even though they don't have a Trevande sweat in the middle of um, – and, uh, and Byron Murphy kind of clogging up the middle there. I, you know, Michigan held Alabama, listen to this, to less than one line yard per rush. Now, Alabama's offensive line, not great, but less than one, 0.99 yards per rush is all they were able to generate up front. Michigan did a terrific job there. Where Washington has the advantage, it's pretty obvious, in the receiving core. You know, Michigan's secondary, no pushover, no push very good secondary, but I'm not sure if there's a secondary in the country capable of covering all three guys. You might cover one. You might cover two. You are not covering all three. Uh, and then you throw in Giles Jackson and, you know, some of the other guys in there. It's just like it's a really unfair advantage that Washington has. And when Michael Penix is humming, there may not be a better passer in the country. He looked like the number one overall pick in the Sugar Bowl, in my opinion. I know age, injury, all that stuff, but like just pure passing talent. That looked like a number one pick to me. It was one of the best games I've ever seen from a quarterback in the playoff. Um you know, and and then at that point, if he's playing at that level, Kelly coverage doesn't matter. <laughs> like like that touchdown pass he had to open up the second half. What are you gonna do? Coverage was perfect. Totally, I don't disagree with any of that. And Brett, I said the other side of the ball intrigued me more because I think you know that's where the game could be won or lost. But that's because really there's more uncertainty on the other side of the ball for me on this side. I mean, it's strength for strength. We we pretty much know exactly what we're getting. Uh, so for these unit ranks. The Michigan defense, I projected them number three in the preseason, and they never ranked any lower than that all year. Uh, they come into this game number one. They've held the top spot on the defensive side of the ball for me since week 10. Similarly, the Washington offense, that was always going to be the strength of this Kalen DeBoer team. Uh, they entered the year projected as a number seven unit, and similar to the Michigan D, it's only gotten better from there. The Huskies offense currently ranks number five, having maintained a top five ranking since week two. Um, based strictly on these, you know, 
Michigan might have an ever so slight advantage, but with the way college football is played now, good offense beats good defense. So I would actually give the, the nod here to to UW, despite a worse ordinal unit ranking. Uh, the raw ratings actually tell, tell a slightly different story too. So I do think if you're giving an advantage, it would go to Washington here, if for no other reason than the way that college football is played and officiated here in 2024. Now I almost said 2023, 2024, uh, as we make the new year. Per my power ratings, Brett. Both of these units just faced their toughest test of the 2023 season in the semifinals in the Alabama offense and the Texas defense, respectively. But those units, quite frankly, pale a little bit in comparison to what they're going to be facing here in this game. The Michigan defense, for as dominant as it's been, has not faced a top 10 offense all season. That changes now. The Washington offense, for as dominant as they've been all season, they have not faced a top five defense all season that changes now. You mentioned Michael Penix Jr. He and the receivers are the headliners for sure. Dylan Johnson's important. If he can't go, and I, I saw the, the report, again, time of recording, he is going to go. So that's what they say. If he's not able to be effective, that could be a big difference in this matchup. Um, and as for those receivers you talked about, Michigan won't be scared. Uh, I mean, they've already faced Marvin Harrison Jr., right? But this Husky team, th they attack in more diverse ways than the Buckeyes did in November, and they just have more weapons. Uh, you could say, you know, skill player for skill player, maybe there's an argument to be made between Ohio State and Washington. Okay, but who's slinging the rock, right? It's Michael Penix Jr., and uh, that makes a massive difference, as you just said. So this side of the ball is the strength versus strength. We kind of know what we're going to get. I don't expect the game to be won or lost on this side just because I think both of these units are so good. I'd be surprised, I guess is what I'm saying, if one of these units dominated. I could see on the other side one of those units dominating because there's some more question marks there, right? And that could be the difference in the game for me. Yeah, I mean, you outlined it. If we get Sugar Bowl Penix, which is – it's hard to see a world in which we don't. Why would he just fall off after a week? Uh, again, he was going up against a really good defense. Like, Texas's defense was outstanding, but he just carved him up because he was so precise. Then, you know, Washington's going to score points, and it's really going to come down to whether Michigan keeps up. And to be honest, if I'm a Michigan fan, which if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I'm very clearly not, uh, I would not want to get into a shootout with Washington. I've asked a couple of people on, on our team that uh, here at the lines that back Michigan, they don't want to get in a shootout either. I don't know if there's a world in which a Michigan fan is comfortable getting into a who-can-score-more-points contest against Michael Penix and that high-powered offense. But like you mentioned, Dylan Johnson, I agree, super important. If he's not there in the backfield, uh, it's really going to fall on uh, Michael Penix's shoulders. In the report that says he's expected to play Monday, all that means is he's expected to put on pads Monday. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean he gets on the field. Doesn't mean he's 100%. Doesn't mean he has a full workload. Because if you watch the game, he was in serious pain and could not walk off. Uh, so we'll see. I, that, that, that injury, so. Brett, that injury, honestly, ultimately, that's what could have. And again, it's never one player, one player, or anything. But the clock stopping oh because God, of that. Yes. Dude, that, that was a whole thing, right? <laughs> like, that saved him, what, 30 seconds? And you look yeah. up. That 30 seconds could have been huge. Of course, it doesn't end yeah. up, quote, mattering for the result of that game because the outcome didn't change. But it very nearly – I mean, you're thinking, gosh, they're doing everything right, and he gets hurt, the clock stops. If I'm a Washington fan, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this just went from Brutal. bad to worse. Brutal. They make it through. Now you, now you hope he can be healthy to play in that game if you're a Washington fan. Yes. A couple of things at the end of that game I, were like, if I Washington know. would have lost, that would have been maybe the most frustrating loss – in the history of college football playoff. And, and not like frustrating in the way that Mario Cristobal's losses at Miami have been frustrating with mismanagement. <laughs> this was just like bad luck stuff. And you're yeah. like, oh my gosh. Well, and like, 
There, Partially. There was, in, in my opinion, there was some mismanagement. Throwing the ball all over the shop with like two minutes left, and the guy didn't know about that. Uh, I think Penix uh, threw away a pass on third down where if he would have just slid down in bounds, it's a whole, you know, it's a whole Pandora's box of what ifs. If we go back a couple of drives, then too, I think the commentators even talk about they're like, are they getting a little too cute here? Like, well, this Washington team, and I, yes. I, I was thinking the exact same thing to myself. I'm like, I was like, what are they doing? And they're like, oh, they're getting a little too cute. I was like, yeah, they are. So you're right. There was maybe some mismanagement that you can point to, but it's not like the blatant things that we see, you know, sometimes from Cristobal. So yes, agreed. I, I, there were bits and pieces that uh, could have been cleaned up. Yeah, but Washington won. Here they are. Anyway, moving forward, I, I, I want to make a case for each team. What does their route to victory, or in Michigan's case, covering and a victory and a national championship look like? I want to start with making a case for Michigan. And normally, I try to focus individually on games and matchups, not really trends. I'm not a big trends guy. I think they can be incredibly misleading on a number of fronts. Um, and each game is their own individual case. Uh, you know, there's no standard cookie cutter national championship, but it is hard to argue against the recent success of favorites in the national title game. And that can be more of a, not how teams perform in the national championship, more of how are they priced? How are similar teams with similar ratings priced? And how does that normally work out? Now, championship game favorites priced between minus three and minus six are five and two against spread and six and one outright. The only upset win was Tennessee over uh, uh, Florida State, I believe, in 99. Um, so it's been a long time coming since that has uh, happened. Uh, not this millennium, at least, but in the last 15 championship games, there have been just three outright upsets, and two of them were Clemson over Alabama, the other, of course, being 2014 Ohio State. Now, you touched on this earlier, and I agree with it. I'm not sure how much merit defense wins championships anymore, but you know, defense, in my opinion, more easily travels and is a more consistent product week to week than offense. Your scoring can fluctuate. Your game plan can fluctuate. Your defense is your defense. If you're playing really well, you can expect that defense to play well almost every week. Now, Michigan did everything that they could, everything under the sun that they could to lose that Rose Bowl, but ultimately buckled down and won the game. If they even play a half-clean game without muffed punts and running into kickers and like just the disaster of all disasters on special teams... I'm not sure that Rose Bowl game's all that close. And, you know, that gives them a lot of leeway in this game, too. The wide receivers catch those easy third-down throws. The special teams don't completely melt down. And I have a feeling we'd have just a little bit different of a conversation, maybe even a different number. Yeah, Brett, you said, you know, maybe defense doesn't win championships anymore. I, I agree with you. I also agree with you that defense travels is, is the saying, right? It's easy. If you're good on defense, it's easier to replicate that week over week, as you said. If you play great offense in any given week, that is going to beat great defense more times than not in today's day and yep. age of college football. So we're, we're saying the exact same thing there. The case for Michigan. Michigan's my number one power-rated team overall. They have been since week eight. This is the best power-rated Michigan team of all time per my historical power ratings. The Wolverines really don't have a weakness and they have the highest floor of any team in college football. I've said that a couple times this year. We came pretty close to seeing that floor against Alabama, uh, as you just talked about there in the Rose Bowl. And Michigan still found a way to win the game. The case for Michigan is this simple. If they just play their game, the game that they have played consistently, week in, week out, all year, and don't beat themselves, over the course of 60-plus, if we got to go to overtime, minutes, they're more than likely going to have been the better football team on both sides of the ball. This team, don't beat yourself, 
play your game and just almost it's, it's almost a war of attrition. You just keep doing what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. We have not seen a team all year be able to keep up with them on both sides to the point where they end the game with more points than Michigan. If Michigan just plays their game, and if you're a Michigan fan, you have to feel really good about that. Like you're saying, all we have to do to win is just be us. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think Michigan just has to be them. Don't be themselves. Play your game. There's a reason you're a favorite, and I'll get to what my model thinks uh, at the end. Now, the other side, the case for Washington. We could talk about better teams, better, more consistent, whatever, not beating yourselves. But, Kelly, when you got it, you got it. We've seen it year after year. When you have the X factor, a lot of these other factors don't matter. Michael Penix is on absolute fire right now. I don't know that anybody in the country is playing as good as he is. Uh, I don't know if there's a defense capable of completely applying the brakes either. I know we saw Washington kind of fall apart at the end of the season. They weren't scoring. They, I kind of feel like they were just messing around. Now they get to the, the crunch time against Oregon and Texas and now Michigan, and he steps up. It's like a great NBA player. I, I like comparing it uh, to here that in that if you're a great scorer in the NBA – you're going to get there. You're like, you're going to get yours. The coaching staff knows that. It's, you know what? We're coming out tonight. It, back in the day, Steph Curry, he's just going to get his. How do you mitigate the rest of the game if you're Michigan? Michael Penix is going to make throws. The receivers are going to make plays. They are going to score points. How do you mitigate the rest of the game? Now, I've seen Michigan's offense disappear. I've seen it happen. We saw it happen in the third quarter of the Rose Bowl. Um, overall though, I thought Washington's defense played really well against Texas and Michigan's offense doesn't have that same level of skill talent. Uh, the quarterback play in the postseason has been really inconsistent for Michigan as well over the course of the past two. Although I do believe that when JJ McCarthy is at his best, I believe he's better than Quinn Ewers is normally, or at least played in that game. And I know Quinn Ewers is better. I don't hear what I'm not saying, but ultimately do they force Michigan to play their game and keep up? If that's the case, I don't know, man. The Washington, big leg up. If they can build a lead and start scoring a couple of drives, you know they're going to force Michigan to choose which receivers they're going to cover. Um, we've also seen Washington drain an entire quarter. They walked up and they said, Texas, you are playing a game on three quarters and you're going to have to score more than us because we're taking this third quarter out of it. It was incredible. Uh, you know, If they build the lead, they know how to maintain it for sure. Now, Although that's kind of ironic because they almost blew it at the end. But, you know, you, you know what I'm saying here. They can, they can maintain it over the course of a game. Now, the multiple passes at the end of that game was questionable. We talked about it a little bit. I thought Washington made it a lot harder than it needed to be. And, of course, a, a bit of unfortunate luck at the end there. Um, but they still pulled it out. So their offensive line was named best in the country. And they should be able to mitigate. I'm, I, I wrote neutralize down, but I'm like, I don't know if neutralize is the right word. Mitigate Michigan's pass rush. If they neutralize Michigan's pass rush, and this is a big time leg up to Washington. Uh, look, this isn't going to be a Rose Bowl five sacks in the first half type of thing. Yeah, Brett, Washington's an interesting team from a power rating standpoint, and I've talked about it on a couple occasions this year. Um, I saw Josh Pate uh, do his apology to Washington fans and Michigan fans, actually. It was pre pretty well done. Um, from a from a metric standpoint, this Washington team, they're number 11 in my power ratings. Um, that's up two spots following the semifinal game. It's their best ranking since week eight. But you're saying number 11, that's really not that high. I, I went back and looked. If Washington were to win this game and their power rating not improve, which it's more likely than not that if Washington wins this game, their power rating would improve. But if it doesn't, this would be the, quote, worst national champion by my raw power ratings since 1974 USC. 
This oh would be the goodness. this this would be the worst power ranked. So their ordinal ranking right now is number eleven national champion since nineteen fifty Oklahoma. So we're we're in a little bit of uncharted territory here. Now TCU last year, if they would have been able to finish the deal, would have kind of been in this conversation too. Of course they weren't. We know how that game ended. I don't think this game ends that way. Um, just because I don't think the Michigan offense could run away from from you in, in most cases, especially uh, a Washington team that has this much firepower on offense. But some teams, my point here, some teams, they defy the model. Washington just might be one of those teams. I had the Huskies with less than a 50% pregame win expectancy in four games this year. So if you want to say, hey, you projected them as an underdog in four games this year. Yes and no, because two of those were pick'ems for me. I had a 48% chance to win the game. That's a 48% win expectancy. That's a pick'em game. Versus Oregon at home in week seven. Of course, Washington wins that game. 49% uh, win expectancy. Again, another pick'em at USC in week 10. In hindsight, I mean, this USC team. But again, that was week 10. You're pretty late in the year. It's still only a 10-point game. I mean, I'm going to get to the 10-point games here in a second. Here, here's where Washington in recent weeks, and they've done what you said. They build an early lead, and then they're able to maintain it. They've needed to do that, and they have in their two most recent games, coming in as underdogs. 28% win expectancy against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. 35% win expectancy against Texas in the CFP semifinal just a week ago. Washington won them all. The Huskies are 8-0 in one-possession games. They've won 10 straight games by 10 points or less. It was I heard on the broadcast it was already the longest streak of the AP poll era, so since 1936, and now they've just extended it even farther. Like They've done it over and over. What's the path to victory for Washington? One more performance where you do just enough to win. And you've been doing it all year. And it's not just against these games that I'm talking about. I mean, you go back, you're looking at the day, the week after Oregon, which again, it's the week after Oregon. Arizona State, you win 15-7. to seven. On the road at Stanford the next week, you win by nine. Then, uh, you know, Oregon State, I know they were an underdog by Vegas. My numbers liked them. You win by two. Your rival, Washington State, they won by three. This team, it, it's almost like it doesn't matter who the opponent is. They're like, all right, we're going to be just better than you. And regardless of who it is and how good they are, we're going to be just better than you this week. That's their path to victory. Be just better than Michigan as you have been. And it's not like this is some insurmountable thing because you've been an underdog. They love being an underdog. They've relished it, and, and they've really worn that. And they wouldn't have it any other way, not to mention, uh, Brett, Kalen DeBoer here, he's now 104-11 and 11 as a college football head coach. He is 25-2 and two at Washington. Here is what I will say. Pick against him and pick against this team at your own risk at this point of the year. All right. Let's tie it all into here. I, I want to know what your model says um, and, and kind of our final thoughts for the 2024 National Championship game. First off, I'm holding on to a Washington 20-1 to ticket that I bought in the middle of the year. I'm not buying out of it, so I'm not betting a side. I'm not going to sit here and say, I lean this, I bet this. I'm just being upfront with everybody. I'm holding on to a Washington future, so I will be rooting my hardest for the Huskies in this game, not to mention you know, the Ohio State side, whatever, either way. Uh, you know, this is the first time that Washington's been to a de jure uh, national championship game. So, you know, what do you do? You give your work to the best player. That's why I like Michael Penix's passing yards here. You can find it under 300, uh, pretty much across the board, 295 and a half at FanDuel at time of recording here. Um, I like over that. Win or lose, Michael Penix is going to be slinging the rock. And I think he's going to be able to get his like we outlined earlier. So continuing on betting on the best players. You can also buy Roma Dunze two touchdowns at plus 500, 5 to 1. I don't mind taking a flyer on that. If you're looking at, you, you know, you can, if you don't like Roma Dunze, then look at Jalen McMillan, then look at Jalen Polk, whoever you want. I think one of these receivers does go for a pair of touchdowns. So go ahead. You can throw a, a I am going to be throwing a flyer on Roma Dunze at least. Uh, look, the number's already risen. 
But if you're backing Michigan for this game, if you're like, hey, you're doing way too much Washington talk, if you're backing Michigan, I'd probably play over Blake Corm's rushing total. Uh, it's 101.5 at time of recording. It was 97.5. And, um, and then I would also look to Michigan over 30.5 team total on that side because, look, they're going to have to outscore Michigan or um, Washington rather rather than stifle their offense. I think that's the more clear path that Michigan's offense rolls and rolls and rolls and outscores Washington to win. Um, but again, my play on the sides and all this stuff, I, I'm letting my future ride. I'm going to be rooting for Washington to win this game because that would be a very nice payout. Uh, but if you are backing Michigan, I look to Blake Corm's rushing total. I look to Michigan's uh, team total. But Kelly, for the last time this year, let's hear what the model says. I'll give you what the model says, Brad. I just want to ask quickly, 20-1 uh, to 1 ticket, was that right after the first Oregon game? Is that when you would have been able to get that yeah. one? Yeah, that's yeah. okay. F- figured. Just wanted to make sure I was tracking that right. Uh, so, Brett, the model picked Michigan and Texas in the semifinal games. My gut was telling me Alabama and Washington. So we kind of split, you know, 1-1. The model now says Michigan minus 9.5. So the model thinks Michigan's going to cover this Vegas spread and pretty pretty comfortably uh, based on where it is right now. That's a 75% win expectancy for, for the Wolverines. So the model says there's a 1-4 in four chance that Washington does what it's done a couple times this year and, and prove me wrong. My gut's telling me Washington. Like, th- both of these teams have that, you know, something special feeling about them for one reason or another. Bottom line, Brett, I think my official pick here, I think Michigan probably covers the biggest spread, but not mine. I think they probably win somewhere around a touchdown um, is what I would go with. The model has liked Michigan really all year, certainly in the second half. It's liking Washington more these days, but I can't get over the fact that Michigan is just this super, super high uh, floor team, and I just I don't think they're going to have a quote bad game. Michael Penix Jr. is going to have to be special once again for Washington to have a chance. I think Michigan gets it done. The model has it Michigan minus nine and a half. All right, Kelly, that was our FBS national championship, our college football playoff national championship preview. But I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting the good folks watching at home go without talking about the FCS national championship game between number one South Dakota State and number two Montana. South Dakota State, a 12.5-point favorite in this game, and it carries an over-under 49.5. It kicks off Sunday, January 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Why are they pitting it against the NFL is beyond me, but hey, whatever. I'm going to be watching this game, and it's played from Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. Look, Montana right now is one of the nation's hottest teams after taking down North Dakota State back-to-back thrill. I mean, like, not just FCS. Like, these were two of the best college football games played all year. They just went off the wall. If you didn't watch, didn't stay up to watch, I'm sorry. Go back and watch the highlights. This is also thanks in part to a receiver, returnman, specialist, whatever you want to call him. Junior Bergen might be the country's most exciting player. And I do not say that lightly. Now, the Grizz finished a regular season also just taking it to rival Montana State in a very surprising result, in my opinion. Not the win, but in the manner in which they did. Now, on the other side, South Dakota State. They look somewhat vulnerable. I'm putting quotes around that uh, in the quarterfinal against Villanova, but it took uh, sub-freezing temperatures, about 55-mile-an-hour winds, and uh, a top-10 rushing defense in the nation to even make South Dakota State look somewhat vulnerable, and they still beat them by more than 10 points. Uh, and then they went on and just... <laughs> UAlbany, they beat them 59-0. to <laughs> The number one rushing defense in the FCS made them look absolutely pedestrian. So South Dakota State, they are second in rushing defense, and that's where Montana's offense operates. So they match up really well. Um, but, uh, you know, Kelly, you always say that, that it, time to prepare benefits at the underdog a little bit more. 
When it comes down to it, I trust Mark Gronowski more than Clifton McDowell. I think this is the last hurrah for this uh, group that's managed to stay together and intact for South Dakota State. Uh, that also includes Isaiah Davis, who's just an absolute beast of a football player. I can't bet against them right now. Can't do it. This is the stat that just, like, sends me over. I cannot believe this. They're the number one red zone offense and the number one red zone defense. On offense, they are scoring touchdowns in the red zone 82.7% of trips and allowing touchdowns in the red zone on just 31.3% of trips. That is insane. A 50% gap there in red zone scoring. You're not going to beat that, period. Hard stop. Now, Montana plays their best football at home, and this isn't at home. This is South Dakota State minus 12.5 for me. Yeah, Brett, I do say that time to repair benefits the underdog, and I believe that wholeheartedly. I'm just not sure that there's enough time in the world for Montana to prepare for this one. I, it, exactly. just, it's a mismatch. The, the Grizz are really good. like They really are. But South Dakota State, I mean, they'd be a top 25 power-rated team in the FBS. The fact that they're playing FCS football, it's just not fair. I mean, to, to, to FCS this year, it's really not fair. This is a, a high-quality FBS team playing at the FCS level. Uh, my FCS light model has this South Dakota State by around 17-ish. I think the Jackrabbits uh, roll and uh, go down as one of the best FCS teams of all time. I don't have a historical rating data set for FCS teams. Maybe that's, you know, in the future at some point, way down the line. Um, But I think this team would grade out very, very favorably, looking over um, all teams that have played FCS level. I think the Jackrabbits get it done and cap off a great year. Just confirm your hypothesis there. Uh, Jeff Sagarin's ratings has them the third best FCS team of all time before the championship game. That, of course, could change. Now, when you say they're a top 25 power rated team in the FBS, I have them uh, 17th, 18th, pardon me, mm-hmm. just behind Oregon State. Mind you, this is pre-transfer. This is the end of, end of season. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, they are uh, two and a half points behind Missouri. They're ahead of Clemson, Louisville, Arizona, Utah. Do with that information what you may. No doubt. Dude, it's crazy. So, Sagarin, who are the top two teams? Now I have to know. Who are the top two teams all time, Sagarin's FCS? Uh, now I'm going off of just memory from seeing the tweet earlier. I do, I, so I know it's 2013 North Dakota State, 2018 North Dakota State. I don't remember which order that they are in. I believe 2013 gotcha. I think is on top. I could be, could be wrong about that. But um, Brad Powers tweeted out. Go, go check Love his it. Twitter. He's got it down there. All right, that's it. That's our season. Callie, that's, uh, that, we previewed everything. We've done it all. We'll be back here again later in the offseason doing other stuff here. But if you're not already, hop on over to our Discord server. There you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in our college football channel with a sharp and very active community as we close out the year. Don't forget to subscribe to Aligns YouTube if you're not already for uh, all of our other great shows. I can't tout our own show anymore because we uh, we're done for the season, but – we have great shows like Beat the Closing Number with Eli Herskovich and Mo Nuara and the Lions Megapod with Stephen Andrus and Matt Brown for the NFL playoffs, of course. Golf is coming up. Uh, John Hausbauer is out there just absolutely killing it uh, in the golf world. And, of course, Eli's got a lot of college basketball stuff here uh, coming up as um, March Madness is kind of coming up soon. I know it's early January, but, hey, it'll be here before we know it. And if you're not already, subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Drop us a good review if you like the show. And if you're watching on YouTube, let us know where you lean in either of the national championship games. It doesn't just have to be the college football playoffs. But, Kelly, one last time for the season, let everybody listening know where they can find your work. 
Yeah, Brett, I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun this season talking college football with you every single week. We did preview so many games, everything that there was. We we broke it all down. It was so much fun. You can find me on X at KFord Ratings, the website KFordRatings.com, and of course over at thelines.com. We'll be doing a national championship game preview this week. Um, But like you said, check out all the content over at thelines.com. It's a lot of fun, a lot of good guys, a lot of good people working over there. So this was great, Brett. I appreciate you and uh, look forward to doing it again. Well, thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.